to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy and Jay Grunberg. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Abernathy, and Jay Grunberg, our co-host, is with us as well tonight. But we have a special guest tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the NFPA's NFPA 70E Electrical Safety, and we're going to be talking to an expert who has a lot of knowledge on this subject, uh, as well as does training all around the country, just like I do. He does it for many uh, governmental agencies, and he resides in Maryland. So he's all the way back over there on the East Coast. Uh, so, again, what we want to do is talk a little bit about our guest tonight and be able to show you who it is and get right into that. So today's special guest is Marty Schumacher. He's the owner of MS Electrical Training, LLC. Now, Marty's worked as a Howard County Electrical Inspector, and Senior Electrical Plan Examiner for over 29 years. He holds a Maryland Master Electrician's License, a Journeyman's License, and is a member of the NFPA, IAEI, AFAA, and is an IAEI Certified Master Inspector. I will also say that he's a CME, CMECP as well, and on our uh, review board for the future candidates that come across uh, for evaluation. Uh, he's also ICC certified commercial electrical inspector, residential inspector, electrical plans examiner, and a Maryland state fire marshal third-party inspector. Now, he also serves on five underwriters, laboratory standards, councils, or committees uh, as panel member of uh, 489, 498, 498A, 506, 1682, and in 2013 and again in 2019, the Chesapeake chapter of the IAEI voted Marty as its next president. So he's got extensive training as an electrician, former electrical contractor. He brings a lifetime of learning experience over 20 years as a code instructor into these classes that he holds. He's going to tell us a little bit about that tonight. He's got a lot of energy. I know for a fact that he is a former Mike Holt Top Gun, comes from a good stock of Top Guns. Uh, just shame Marty wasn't there in 2007, so I could beat his butt. But no, he got it in 2009, so, you know, he... he uh, he picked it up and uh, took it to the next level. So again, we know that he's a dynamic speaker because for you to win that, you gotta gotta be doing something right. He's a lifelong Marylander. Um, we won't hold that against him. He lives in uh, Westminster with his wife Trish, and they have three wonderful kids. Uh, along with his passion for traveling the world, Marty and Trish just recently became beekeepers. That's interesting because a person at work today, uh, well, yesterday, gave me some honey that they are also beekeepers so it's fresh honey so i imagine that's going to be awesome uh, marty is uh, active on numerous electrical boards and committees nationally as well as the state of maryland and he's committed to giving back to the industry we all love how all of these educators can give back to the industry and marty does that in in many ways so without further ado we want to introduce of course my co-host jay grunberg as well as welcome to the show marty schumacher thank y'all for coming Glad to be here. Excellent. So, um, so Marty, tell us a little bit. I know I kind of read an introduction, uh, yeah. and, you know, about you a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about you and uh, and, and kind of what you what you offer as far as the company. And, and we're going to obviously get into electrical safety and talk about NFPA 70E, but tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Paul and Jay. It's great, great to be with you guys uh, this evening. Uh, you know, the way I describe myself, I'm an electrician. Uh, really, what it all comes down to, that's my background. That's what propelled me into this whole electrical training scene, this little niche that uh, that, that I seem to be involved with. Uh, that's my background. But I got into the electrical inspection world, and that really changes everything. As, as you know, Paul, uh, it really opens your eyes up to what I, where I used to be and where I am now. You know, we always talk about being an inspector, you're on one side of the aisle and then the contractor's on the other side of the aisle. I've always rejected that. Uh, we, we don't need to be on different sides of the aisle. So when I had both of these backgrounds, 
it got me interested in the code. And it also, I wanted to help other people understand the code, right? That is so important to understand the code. I, I really think there's a difficulty in that in our contracting world is understanding the code. We, we get into habitual things, don't we? It's, it's a habit forming. Inspectors are habit forming. Contractors are habit forming. And that's not helpful in the electrical code because how many times, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Code says you can't. Well, usually that's because we're habitually used to something from a state, a county, or from what somebody's told us. And so my background really started to thrive when I decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to both. I'm going to be a code geek, but I'm also want to want them to understand that I can speak their language too. Speaking somebody's language, I think, is very important. Sure. Now, I can, I can, company, I can, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No, I can tell you from a background, as you probably know as well, being in in inspections and and being uh, the engineer for the city of Richmond, Virginia, and then overseeing inspections. Yeah. Uh, every new inspector that would come in, I'd have to sit down and have a little conversation with them and say, you know what, you're not going to be an inspector about things that maybe you did it a certain way and yeah. you're not going to say, I'm not accepting something because I didn't do it this way. That's not how it works. The code is a minimum safety standard. And if if our customer, which what the, the, the consumers are, is we're an inspector, they're our customers. We're here to serve our customers. So, you know, there's no room for inventing code, making up code. Uh, I used to tell them, if you can't find it, if you can't cite it, then you can't reject them. Okay. I don't want anybody making up anything. So I used to tell them, you got to turn that hat around and you start having to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, And I had a lot of inspectors who'd say, well, that's just not how I do it. I'm not going to allow that in my jurisdiction. And I would say, "That's that's not the mentality you have to have. Okay, so I right. love your I love your approach. I'm sorry. Go on, go on a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, no. I, I think that's so good, Paul. It, it, when I was hired as a as a young inspector back in the 1989, um, my the chief inspector sat me down and had that similar discussion. It's not what you think it says. It's not what you want it to say. It's not what other people want it to say. It's what it says. But you have to really dig into the code book and understand the intent. And, and actually be involved in the IEI and other organizations so you can hear it from experts, right? When, when you think you know what it says and all of a sudden you've got these code experts and, and other opinions that, that are not giving an opinion but giving a proper interpretation. It, it helped me dramatically to approach it from that angle. And I, I think that's very important. I, I, um, I got into 70E uh, after teaching code for, gee whiz, nearly 15, 16 years. Uh, When I was teaching code and ultimately retired from Howard County, my customers were asking me to teach 70E. And I'm like, well, I'm a code guy. I'm an electrician. Yeah, Yeah, I'm an electrician. I don't do 70E. What are you talking about? I don't do, right. That's exactly right. I don't do 70E. Interestingly enough, my background and people my age and perhaps older come from a background where there was very little safety. The contractors that I worked for, for the first seven, eight, nine years after after high school and college, there was virtually no safety going on, none for the most part. Uh, And if there was safety, I didn't know about it. And that was my background. And I I had had a somewhat serious art flash uh, in 19, I think, 87, if I'm not mistaken. And boy, did that open my eyes of, uh, of that odorless uh, flash that occurred, yeah. right? And, and plasma, plasma, and flash. that plasma blast, right? My goodness. And I'm thinking like, I didn't know that that could do that, right? I had no idea. It was, you know, I knew it would spark. You know, we're all familiar with sparks, right? But an arc flash was something that was not in my radar. I had never seen before. 70E, I'd never heard of when I was a young electrician. I didn't know what it was. And as I'm teaching all these this code, my customers are saying, yeah, you know what? I, my insurance company is requiring me to get a, a electrical safety awareness or electrical safety 70E class. 
And I'm like, well, I, I don't, that's not what I do. You know, good luck with that. And then as they kept asking over and over and over again, I'm like, well, they're my customers. And I, and I started to get into uh, 70E. I started going to some great experts that teach it, that are that, um, uh, very knowledgeable. And once I got into it, I realized, wow, I've got a long ways to go with, with not just understanding 70E, but getting the right mentality for me personally, right? Because sure. I, how can I teach something when I, if I don't believe it? You got to be in it. You get, you know, what is that saying? You got to be in it to win it. You got to be in it to teach it. You know, we teach things, even electrical code, not because we're doing it for the paycheck. We're doing it because we have a passion for it. Uh, yeah. Training others, helping them learn, seeing people be successful. Again, when it comes to electrical safety, it's saving lives. And I think that a good example of this, uh, Marty, would be to, to Jay. You know, Jay is, I mean, we're not, we're not going to, me and you are not going to give away our age. But I think Jay's probably a bit younger than we are. So, you know, Jay's got a, a bunch of employees. Um, by the way, Marty, we call Jay the basement king. You know, not any confusion with Tiger King, but Jay is the basement king. So he does an awful lot of basement remodels. I mean, high-end okay. remodels. All and, right, Jay. Yeah, and so he's got employees. And so you got to say, so... So Jay, we'll put you on the spot. We'll, we'll Marty, and, and I'll, I'll use Marty as the as the method to the madness, and I'll put you on the spot. So, what kind of safety do you do with with your company, uh, Jay? Do do y'all have? I mean, obviously, you're not really because of what you do required to have any safety meetings, but um, it doesn't hurt. Obviously, having a moment of safety and and, and educating your guys and and talking to them. How do you dress safety? I mean, you know. Our, our company policy is once a month we'd have a job, uh, a, a toolbox talk, as they would call it, or job site mm -hmm. talk. And we go over a, a simple form that has certain issues on it. Maybe one day it's, it's how GFCIs work and how you should be using them for temp services and, and just in any kind of safety-related um, topics, um, going up ladders, making sure you're getting enough sleep. I mean, just even stuff outside of the job that, that can affect you on the job. So we go over that and we like to, we have a very small core group. So there's eight of us out in the field, um, nine including myself when I'm out there, but we have good communication through emails as well. Uh, usually we do weekly emails talking about how we can um, get jobs done quicker, faster, safer as well, because you, you want to get them, you want to get your jobs done fast, safe, but or fast and quick, but also safe. You don't want to have any injuries. So we, we like to, uh, yeah. Now, I was going to say, so, Marty, I would think in this situation for a lot of people, they, they might, so for Jay's situation, he might, uh, he might work in a situation where he's never going to really be in a situation where it, there's that temptation to work on anything live. Um, you know, the normal electrician will, you know, and this is probably the hurdle you might face too, Marty, when you're talking yeah. to people is they're like, look, I rough in things. There's no power on. I, once I hook everything, I do a rough in, I cut everything in and, and then it's energized. 12240 is not going to hurt me, man. That's not going to be a problem with me. You know, it only takes a 10th of an amp to kill you. But again, we, we like to, in a death penalty here, we electrocute people. We like to send 50,000 volts coursing through their body reality is i could get rid of you with a simple 20 amp circuit on a countertop if the conditions are right right i guess a 15 yeah. amp circuit to do it so so in that case marty how do you address those people that might come to a class that simply feels like this nfpa 70 is a waste for me do i need to even worry about ppe at levels like 120 and yeah. 240 that type of thing gosh paul that that's that is one of the biggest questions that I get and, and the biggest, I guess, attitudes perhaps would be a good way to describe it. You are exactly right by bringing up our age versus Jay's age, right? Because one of the things that I teach is that the older electricians are the hardest ones to teach because they have to change their habit. I, I always illustrate a seatbelt. Right. When when I was driving, we never wore a seatbelt. Nobody did. And once the law changed, I didn't I didn't just get in the car the next day and strap on my seatbelt because the law changed. But look at our kids. 
when our kids get into a car, it's automatic, right? Because at a young age, it was, they did it. They did it. And the same thing with electrical safety, the hardest ones to, to understand this, they get them to practice it are the older electricians. And it's, it's not a knock against older electricians. It's just reality. It's, it's just, if we rolled this way for 20 years, and all of a sudden, some guy like me, some hotshot comes in your class and tells you you've been doing everything wrong. Right. They're not going to change overnight. No. And, and that's one of the hardest things to, to do. Jay brings up a good point of, of having those toolbox talks, right? The, the more you do it, um, the more people will get accustomed to it. And, and I'll add um, one thing when you have these toolbox talks for your safety meeting is the way OSHA looks at this and 70E is if you don't document it, right? You ready for this? It never happened. True. And so when you have these toolbox meetings, I, I know it's a pain in the neck. We, you know, we're spending all this time and effort uh, following these rules, following these guidelines. I got to make a living out there. I always say, once you get a, a, a format on how to do this, right, and you, and you figure out a way how to do it quickly and accurately, and then store that information so that if you have to, God forbid, you have to come back to it someday, it's there. That, you know, Marty, that's such a great point because, Jay, you might be having your toolbox. And those out there listening on the podcast or watching the video, uh, you know what? The old saying that OSHA never gets involved until somebody gets hurt, uh, that sometimes is a true statement. They don't, you know, some places, depending on where you're at in the country, I can tell you right now, OSHA might be more prevalent down near the border than it would be up here in the middle of North Northeast Texas, okay, on job sites, okay, uh, because of the labor force and things like that. And there's other things that are associated with that. Um, yeah. But reality is, if you don't document it, like Marty said, it never happens. So, Jay. One of your guys gets hurt on a job site. You know what? They love you to death until litigation. I found that out. I'm expert witness yeah. for a lot of high-profile death cases when it came to electricity. They love you until it's their butt on the line and or they have a situation where they work for you and now they're gonna they're not gonna be able to work because of some accident, even if they're careless. They're going to say, my boss did not give me safety training. I did not have any safety meetings. And oh. you know what? And you're going to be sued. And well, you're going to have to scramble and say that you did have these meetings. You did document it. And so people listening, think about it. Okay? Protect yourself. Luckily for, lucky for us, we, we do. We have everybody's signature. We have it dated on the back of that to, uh, toolbox talk sheet. We have an extra piece a paper that says the date and what the topic was and, and lines so everybody can sign it. So we, we definitely document our toolbox talks. And we also have emails as well too. We keep a, a pretty steady uh, email chain with, with our project manager and our crew leads. And, and that's, that's sometimes that's just safety or that's how to, again, how to improve jobs. How, because um, being in business for six years, um, like you, you both know, things change. Sure. So with, with, with change, whether it's the code change, whether it's material-wise change, whether it's going from new construction to remodel, that whole install process changes, you, you want to make sure that, that your project manager and your crew leads and their guys are in sync with, sure. with how to get these jobs done. So Absolutely, absolutely. Now, before we go on, again, we're going to go further. we got to give a shout-out to people that are in the chat room. Uh, for coming, <laughs> Steve, thanks for coming, Bill, uh, Demetrio, Alfred, Nick, thank all y'all for coming in there. There's a, plenty of people in the background. Don't be shy. If you got any questions, you oh, yeah. can type them in. Uh, Jay will be monitoring any chats that might come in, if any questions you might have for Marty or me or Jay. Um, so uh, the next thing, I guess, Marty, I want to talk about is, do you have any, any you have any seminars coming up, any training coming up for anybody on the, uh, you know, I get a lot of calls about continuing ed, and I know you do continuing ed, so do you have anything yeah. in the works? Give us your, your website or let them know where you where they can get in touch with you as far as if they're on the East Coast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Paul. Um, we do tons of classes, uh, both private and public. So, if you want a private class, uh, you can go right to my website, which is ms 
electricaltraining.com. And I've got a, a, um, a link on there that you can fill out a form to request private training. Or you know what? You can just send me an email or give me a call. I can, we can do that as well. I have public classes that are all over the state of Maryland, um, a little bit in Northern Virginia, a little bit in Southern PA and Delaware. But the COVID, the COVID has been a real challenge with, with yeah. in-classroom training. Sure. sure. So, you know, I had to adjust and we were shut down for three and a half months. And at that time I'm scrambling to do Zoom classes. I have online training as well. Um, and that was doing fairly well. But right now it's it's a combination of smaller classes in classroom with Zoom. And yeah. you know what? Doing a train, teaching a class and doing Zoom simultaneously, that is not the easiest thing to do. I, I can tell you that right now. It, Gee, it, it's it, almost it, like it's almost like hosting a show on Saturday night <laughs> with all these consoles and three different ones and a camera that doesn't work right before you come on show. I know, I know all about it. So yeah, I found that you know, and I think that Jay had a, a you know that kind of a segue, kind of taking a break from the seventy E, which was, we're going to get back to it in a second, but. You know, Jay, Jay, we've talked a couple times about how, you know, how COVID uh, and things like that. Jay, probably will ask you about that, how COVID really has affected your company. You know, for 2020, for the Electrical Code Academy, um, you know, obviously, like I said, every, we didn't have to shift uh, because most of my stuff that I do around the country is either large seminars, venues where I'm a guest speaker or something. Yeah. So I don't do the class class, but the online academy grew in 2020 just Phenomenal. I think we, we topped over 500 plus students uh, enrolled in our academy uh, wow. just in 2020. So where everything else was going down, it started going up and, yeah. uh, you know, hey, and it just hey, became Paul, we amazing. Got a, so. We got a new guy for the first time tuning in, Matthew. Matthew, welcome Matthew, to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Coming in. <laughs> Nick, Nick makes a good point. He says, fall off a ladder, you get fired before you hit the ground. I have actually heard that <laughs> when, I was, when I was working for a lot of commercial outfits. He's um, falling. Kinda, he's falling. Yeah, he's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. get this done as quick as you can with, with, with what tools you have, which usually they don't provide you the proper tools. Not, not that all of them don't, but sometimes you're limited on the tools you have. Get it done fast. Get it done now. And be and and be safe. It's like that doesn't yeah. work. All well, the I time. heard that I heard that Wired Up Electrical Design LLC is pretty cheap with their tools. So, but so, uh, so hold on. If, if you consider Milwaukee cheap, well, hey, just hey, Jay. Yeah, right. I will let you know they're made in the same facility in China, Jay. <laughs> Just so you know. All right. Of course, they are made in the same facility as the tools that I like, too. So it doesn't matter. Um, so, Marty, how have you, how have, uh, it gave you, gave us a little bit of it, but how have you been coping with the COVID thing as far as, I mean, you've seen you adapted to the Zoom, but again, it's got to be yeah. a huge hit because you're, you're a classroom guy. You, you, yeah. I've had to adapt that. And when I created the academy, it was a little different because I have to answer all of these See, we have competency reviews. Every unit in our academy, they do these exams, and I have to yeah. grade them personally. So any given night I log in, I might have as many as 200 exams to grade, and it takes me about four hours. Yeah. So, but yeah. when I'm doing the seminars, it's just one big lump of people, and they listen, but you interact as a class. I've seen some of the things yeah. you do. How has the COVID really affected you? It, it, we were shut down for three and a half months. And there, you know, and then of course we're in Maryland. Maryland was one of the most strictest states. Yeah. DC, Maryland, Virginia, Northern Virginia. That that's my stronghold right there. We were shut down. And then, and then I started doing classes in, in uh, end of June, nine people per class. Well, I, I'm, I'm usually having 40, 50, 70, 80, a hundred, or even sometimes more than a hundred. That's my normal yeah. continuing education class. And here it is. We had 300 people signed up for classes when COVID hit and they shut down. Mm. Three, at that just at that one time. So my my office was like, "Well, what do I what do we do? Do we give them their money back?" And I said, "Well, why don't you ask them what what they want to do?" And most sure. of them just said, "Just float it. You know, whenever this thing frees right. up." 
Well, it was so three did... and a half months later, and then all of a sudden, yeah. I'm starting classes with nine people. You know, it was it was. So did Maryland very... change, Marty? Did Maryland change and allow some leeway? Because what if people yeah. couldn't get their CEUs in a classroom? Did they? Because I think there was what is it nine out? I can't remember the requirement. Certain amount has to be classroom, and you could get online. Yeah. They, right. Did they bend those rules for the classroom and let you get it all online, or did they bend anything? Yes, they, they did. First of all, they allowed, if your license expires, they're allowing it to go another 30 days past when the emergency has been lifted, which it hasn't okay. been lifted yet. So that's what Maryland did. And then also, Maryland is allowing temporarily all 10 hours to be online. So we're prepared for that as a company. We have we have 10 hours of continuing education online. But you know, when you when you have a hundred people or fifty people in your class, that that's that's a significant income hit oh, that, yeah. that we took. Significant income hit. And we train uh, approximately two thousand people a year. Um, half of it private, half of it public. And the the all my government training has dried up until within the last two, three, four weeks, I've been getting some of that back. So it, it's it's bad. Um, fortunately, you know, we're in a position to just to go with this and uh, kind of wait it out and just do the best we can with Zoom and online training. But um, Maryland has been uh, reasonable with the with the license holders. So has Virginia for that matter. Yeah. They've, they've been reasonable. Yeah, DPR has not been too bad. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, um, some of the local counties in Maryland are still requiring it and they're not allowing all 10 to be online. So that then they're scrambling. And I'm one of the only people in Maryland that 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 is doing in classroom training right now. And so it, the classes fill up. I mean, we, we post a class and it yeah. fills up immediately. Well, I know, like I said earlier, I know we send I send people there that call me that that, that need it, that. That, that really want the, the butt in the seat type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and do it because, again, I don't get out as much. Most people out there know that I'm a head of codes and standards for Encore Wire. So uh, the Electrical Code Academy is run by a, a lot of people that are with me, and I'm just a figurehead, and I'm the code expert for it. But at the end yeah. of the day, funny story, back in Virginia, many, many, many years ago, before continuing education, I was the one that wrote the original requirement for continuing education, and I was shooting for 12 hours in Virginia. They gave me three. Yeah. Um, and I remember writing that and uh, being a part of that and getting it and realizing that I was the only instructor for the first year and a half that could give the continuing ed until people there learned what they had to do. And so I was having these classes every weekend all over the state. And it would be, you know, people were shocked. Now they got to get CEU credits. They were like, I don't need no CEU credits. And so they would come and, you know, we were doing it at the start. It was like $200 a head for three hours. And, uh, you know, in, in filling up a room, putting 200 people and you're right. It's a financial yeah. hit to take away that room. Cause you know what? Yeah. I'm not saying it was all cash IRS and it's many years ago. So the statute of limitations has run out. I'm just saying, <laughs> but it was pretty good at the time. So yeah. So those classrooms and you know what? Also Marty, there's nothing like the excitement right. of people in the seats and being on there and just walking around and doing your code thing. It's, it's just nothing like it. It's, it's yeah. just, and, it, and when I do it on a stage, a bunch of a bunch of people, uh, it, it's there's nothing like it. It's just it's different. Zooming it or or, or yeah. FaceTiming it or whatever you do, it's just not the same. It's just the passion. It's just not the same. Right? So one of the viewers asked for Marty. He said, couldn't you just see if the 300? Because we talked about you had 300 people scheduled for in class. Couldn't they do it online? And I imagine you probably couldn't at, at the time. You probably didn't do anything online before COVID hit, or or did you, or was this? Yeah, yeah, uh, Jay, we we have online training that I developed on my website, but these are my customers. These I have customers that I've had for twenty years, and they they come back every time. You know, I always like to say it's nice to be invited somewhere, but it's better to be invited back. Yeah, and so right. And so my these customers come to me. They don't want online training. They want yeah. to do yeah. in classroom training. Sure. They want to ask me questions. They want me to tease them. 
right? They, they, they want me to feed them. They want me to give them cheap, cheap, cheap prizes out to those who, who answer code questions, right? Yep. This is what they want. Yeah. And they, they really want and, that interaction. They, they, I they had the do. same customers that would come back to the seminars every couple of years yeah. and they were like, Hey, you're doing it again. See, so Jay, there, there actually is those people that do those seminars, those live training, those events, you do develop a following and, and you're right, Marty, it, anybody can get the initial call to teach a class. It's when they call you back. That's yeah. when you know you did it. That's when you're like, yeah, I did it. I, you know, it was successful class. We connected that type of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, w when Jay was talking about uh, his company, because he does mostly residential, yep. residential is is probably the least group out there that follows 70E. And now there's, yeah. there's a reason for that, right? Because 70E, when it first came out, it was more, which was 1979, by the way, was more for the industrial and and uh, heavy manufacturing industry. The residential and the commercial electrician, it was almost non-existent, almost. Now that has changed, especially in the commercial construction world, which is my wheelhouse. Right. Jay brings up a good point because one of my themes when I teach the 2020 co-change class, my theme is 70E. You're like, well, wait a second. How can your theme be 70E when you're teaching a 2020 National Electrical Code Change class? Well, because if you look at a lot of the changes that have happened in 14 and the 17 and the 20 edition, they're all harmonized with 70E. Like, for example, right. for my residential um, customers that I teach 70E, I'll say, guess what this book is written for? 70E is written for the employer. Right. It's not written for anybody else but the employer. Right. And so right. when people like Jay send their workers out, are they working in the panel energized? Right. And I always pause there. Right. Because everybody's thinking, yes. Then I'm thinking like, well, you, did you are you aware of the code in 230.62? I think it's C where, the, the, where you, when you have a panel board service or any kind of service equipment, you're supposed to provide a barrier based on the UL standard. I think it's UL 67, I, I, mm -hmm. I think. Yes, it is. And, and I'm like, okay, you provide the barrier. Do you realize that cheap little barrier that you put in there, it costs a few bucks. You're sending your worker out and now they're compliant with OSHA. And you know what? They don't even know it. They don't even know that they're sending their worker out and now they're in compliance if they have that line side barrier on there. Because they could turn that main breaker off. And guess what? According to OSHA, there's no shock hazard. The OSHA calls it non-contact energized parts, where 70E calls it, right? One and the same. And so if you have non-contact energized parts, guess what you don't have? You don't have a shock hazard. And so if you're sending your worker out and you have those line side barriers in there, they turn the breaker off, right? They have their safety glasses on, perhaps the hard hat, all the OSHA 10 stuff, right? You got to do the OSHA 10 stuff. Sure. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, they're, they're in compliance because in all likelihood in a residential panel board, there's probably not a ready for this, an OSHA defined arc flash hazard. There is an arc flash and then there's an OSHA defined or a 70E defined arc flash hazard. And in all likelihood, a residential panel is not going to rise to that arc flash hazard as defined by IEEE 1584. So, so Marty, so what I run into is, so what about the, so are we saying that if, that's if they turn off the main breaker and they're not energizing the bus. Right. So what if the electrician's in there working Main breaker's on, power's live. They're working below the main breaker. They have a yep. live bus. And my concern is people get complacent. And yep. we've all heard that old rule about the hands, back of the hands, all this good stuff, which yep. one's closest to the heart, all this kind of stuff. But is there still a hazard for people to be working in a panel and not turning off the main? I mean, I know people that'll cut in a panel once it's energized and they'll start terminating the individual breakers and the panel's hot. You know? Yeah. And so what's your thought on that? I mean, I have home inspectors who go out and, I, and everybody knows I've written books for home inspectors and did a lot of training for home inspectors in the past. 
they really shouldn't be forging in a panel anyway. And again, not a show for home inspectors, by the way. But um, the reality is they're going to be working in a live panel all the time. So are there any concerns with Jay's guys working in a panel where they don't turn off the main breaker, even though we had the barriers on the line side? Is there any concern? Does OSHA have any concern? Does NFPA 70E have any concern, even though it's residential? Yeah, here, here's where there's a little bit of a breakdown. If you ask an industrial or manufacturing electrical professional, then they would say, absolutely not, you can't do that, all right? In fact, if you looked at 70E, they would the, the first tier of 70E is to eliminate the power. Right. Okay, and then there's all other types of substitutions that finally get down to what? Personal protection equipment. And under no circumstances would 70E allow somebody to work in an energized panel without PPE. And now here's the question. How are you going to work, quote, unquote, work? I'm not talking about voltage testing. I'm not talking about infrared testing. I'm talking about working in an electric panel. How are you going to do that with your voltage-rated gloves and your leather work gloves over top of that? You can't, right? So, well, so you you, you could inter- you could introduce a greater hazard by simply being too much PPE or too bulky, and it creates another issue that we have to address. Yeah. And is can't do the job right because you just can't do what you need to do. And and I don't think any electrician is going to gear up to that when we're working in the breakers below the main main panel. But I know I just I just know that we get this question all the time about is there a hazard on the load side of the service disconnect if you don't turn off the main breaker. Right. And so there are and the, there are tables in the back of 70E. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but there, there are tables in, our, in, in section 130.7. They, they talk about the hazards, all right? And they talk about the worker being exposed to those hazards. But the problem here is, is I can be practical and answer that question, Paul, but it would have to be off the record, right? The the answer, though, is this, is that if you're exposed to a shock hazard, you you have to eliminate the power, or if you can justify not eliminating the power, which is not easy, by the way. Sure. Not easy. Then you you would have to suit up with proper PPE protection. This is the reason why I think Jay is, is, is... is an interesting co-host here, right? Because I brought up 230.62 about those barriers. You see, this is the whole thing. A 70E knows, right? And OSHA knows that workers out there are not complying with OSHA rules. So they harmonize with the National Electrical Code, right? And say, hey, let's make it a UL standard and let's require it in the National Electrical Code so that we have a, a way to comply with OSHA because there wasn't a way before. Sure. There wasn't. Because what do you tell me a residential electrician that's suiting up and putting on voltage-rated gloves and leather work gloves because they're working in a residential panel? If, no. if an OSHA instructor was teaching the class, they would just say, oh, well, that's what you have to do. I'm, sure. I'm not knocking an OSHA instructor, right? No. But, but yeah, I, uh, there's a difference. There's all those things, like we say, there's a difference between reality and there's a different what, than what people are going to actually do, right? Right. And I think, if I can just interject here, I think the point that, that OSHA and 70E are becoming more practical with this, especially now they're, they're, it's, it's not just the industrial world. It's now commercial electricians and residential electricians. And so that's why you're seeing this harmonization with 70E in the National Electrical Code and the UL standards, because they realize they're fighting a losing battle here. It's not going to. Ha- it's not. It's not that it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in the next five or ten or twenty years. So they're coming up with some very smart and inexpensive ways, which I think is good, to comply with this. Um, otherwise, we're just not seeing a lot of compliance with this. So to answer your question. It's, it's, it's not compliant with Ocean 70 standards to work in that energized panel under any circumstances. So you have to turn the main off. You have to provide a barrier. The good news is on a residential panel board, there's probably not an arc flash hazard as defined. An arc flash hazard as defined is 1.2 calories or greater. 
you're highly unlikely to see those types of calories in a residential panel board. So the good news is there may not be an arc flash hazard, but there's still a shock hazard. Sure. Eliminate the shock hazard. And Jay, you can send your workers in that panel board with their normal OSHA stuff, um, yep. checking for the absence of voltage with their voltage testers first. And, and then um, you can be assured that your workers are compliant. I'll give you an interesting story of people that need to at least take care when they're working in a panel, even if the blast is not a, is something that's probably going to meet those levels. I do mm -hmm. know of a guy who did not wear protective lenses and was putting in a wire into a breaker. Anyway, it arced and it's, it arced and you know, it's getting a high impulse of heat meltdown. It caused a small piece of copper to shoot out in the, in the arc and actually hit him right in the eye. And he lost partial vision in his eye for long term because he didn't wear yeah. PPE, he didn't even wear the goggles. And yeah. I've always been lucky to say I always had glasses, so I never had to think about it. But he was up there doing it, working in it. You know, you've done it. We've all done it. You electricians out there, when you're working in a panel, you get in there. It's not like you're working at arm's reach. You're in there. He was in it. There was a something touched, and it caused an arc. And that quick, pss, that was it, shot into his eye. And he lost partial vision in that eye. It, it, it's all it can take. So the other thing I want to transition then, Marty, is there is a provision out there, not residentially. There is a provision where you can work on things live with a live work order or a live work permit. Yeah. So we want to talk a little bit about that because, look, I've had situations where people have come to me and said, my boss telling me that I have to work on this. We can't afford to shut it down. We can't do it. You got to work on it live. My first question to them is, did the guy provide you with a high level of PPE? Did he provide you everything to suits, anything, everything necessary? Because if he did not, and now he's asking you to do a live work order or a live work permit. Yeah. Then when he signs that you make it very clear of the reason why you would have to do it because they're responsible for it. But then I'll tell him, I said, I wouldn't do it. Okay. What's your thoughts on that live yeah. work permit? Yeah. Um, so even in the back of the 70E book, they have a, a copy of, of an energized work permit. An energized work permit is, a, is an employer permit. It's generated by the employer, right? And you're exactly right, Paul. The energized work permit, um, if justified, must be signed by multiple people within that organization. Accountability. Yes, the worker, the master electrician, the if there's a safety manager, by the way, every company needs to have a safety manager, even if you're a one-person company. Guess what? Jay, you Jay, are now you're the safety. You're the safety right. manager, Jay. All right. Yep. Every company must have a safety official designated, even if you have just two or three people. You know, they have to wear a hat. But, but getting back to what we're talking about, the energized work permit has to be signed off by, most people say, at least three signatures. And as you're, work, as you're looking at that permit, you're realizing, oh, boy, when you put something in writing, it changes everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It really does. And when you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, my goodness, okay, so you're having PPE. So the third signature might say, okay, the PPE looks good. I want a, I want a buddy working with them. Not only do I want a buddy working with them, I want that buddy to have a contact release stick just in case. Not only that, I want that buddy to be trained in CPR, a designated employee that's, that's required by 70E. Um, and then only if you do that, then I'll sign. And then, then you include that in the work permit, that you're going to use a buddy that's CPR trained. You're going to have a, a contact release hook a fiberglass hook. Um, they're going to have their cell phone available. The, the buddy is so that if something does happen, then hey, then, uh, it won't be as dangerous. The moral of this story, folks out there listening and watching, those over the podcast and those in here, if your boss asks you to work on something live, the questions you should ask: Where's my PPE? You know, you don't just stick it in a box somewhere. It has to be tested. Okay, gloves have to be tested on a frequent basis. Okay. If somebody's asking you or you feel pressured or forced to work on something live, don't be afraid to stop right there and start questioning it because it's your life. Okay. They're going to hire somebody else. 
Okay, it's your life. Make them responsible. When somebody has to put their signature on the dotted line and they know that they're the one giving that order, it changes everything. Yeah. Everything. Now, back to the Superman electrician or supertrician. Even when I go today, most people know today, I still do service calls. I still go out. I have an electrical company as well. I, I'm, I'm older. I don't do as much. But I don't work on anything live. I don't have a need for it. I don't need to pull a lamp down, a luminaire down. I don't need to do any of that and do it live. Okay? I don't have a desire. There is absolutely nothing in a house. There's nothing that you need to do live. Okay? Except what? Test with diagnostic equipment, meters or something like that. And you right. wear the proper PPE to do it. Other than that, there's no need. Why would you want to change an appliance or why would you want to change a luminaire or why would you put up a ceiling? Why would you leave the power on? What benefit is there? Yeah. Why would you ruin a good pair of clients by being too lazy to go to the breaker? Yeah, we know y'all done that. Okay. I, I, I think it's I think it's sometimes it's people being lazy and then other times it's people trying to have this barrier from being maybe coming up as an apprentice not working on live work and maybe they're doing work at their house or at their buddy's house or maybe they're even working in a remodel situation where they're like you know what i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna test the waters right i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do this hot i'm gonna install this ceiling fan with the power up there hot and and so i i think sometimes it's that it's it's that the 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 electrician or the helper feels like they need to do. All you, all you've got to do is turn the switch and off. And that's not a, yeah. I mean, all you got to do is turn the switch off. You know I'm what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I think a lot of it has to do with, with, with an individual's ego going, okay, I'm, I'm going to now be able to talk about doing live work with my other electrical buddies. All right. Well, you know, I, I did I, this live. I saw a friend of mine, he's also a very big YouTuber, who did a video the other day, Dustin. And he did a oh, video, yeah. and he did a service change, and he left the meter, and he did the service change hot. He, he didn't call the power company. He simply pulled the, the, the lines in, out, and sealed them off and whatever. You know what? Again, we're not here to be holier than thou and, 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 and talk about what somebody does at the end of the day. Uh, I feel totally uncomfortable with it. Uh, I can honestly say I've been doing this for over 30 plus years. I don't remember any time where I had a need to work on something like that live. Uh, either I called and scheduled it with utility and the meter was pulled and I worked on it. Um, maybe I'm just having brain laps or whatever, but you know, I probably did at some point. Just not the not something I say you would you would do because there's an easy way to resolve that, okay? That you know to have them pull the meter and something like that. So it just seemed like it was unnecessary. Of course, electricians who have a lot of skill, years under their belt, very cautious can can probably. But I will say to his credit, he did have PPE. He had the gloves. He had the the everything is you know, the the goggles. The, the, he had everything. Uh, and I guess, you know, Marty might have a different opinion if he watched the video and saw that it was actually 240 volts and he, I don't know what he had. Uh, but at the end of the day, it worked out for him. But what I will say is he didn't pull the whole panel off. He just took the, he just took the, the hot lines and he turned the main off. And I don't even know if he pulled out the line. So in his fairness, he was just working with the breakers on the load side. So probably something all of us have done in, inside of a panel because it is energized. But I still turn off the main breaker. And in his fairness, I believe he did turn off the main breaker. But I have known people who literally will pull the entire cabinet off, tape the ends of the lines that are coming out of the meter, and they're all still hot. You know, and so they tape them up, tape them up, and then they can barely get them out of the knockout, and they start yanking on it. I watched it, and I know that they're still live. There's no overcurrent protection on it, okay? There ain't nothing up there on a the secondary of that transformer. You're lucky if you have a fuse on the primary side, okay? Yeah. So yeah. it's just, just think about it. Some things are just not necessary. Can we all want to get home to family? You know, Marty, your thoughts? Yeah. And, and what's interesting about justification for energized work, right? You're exactly right, Paul. In, in most circumstances in, let's just go back 20, 30, 40, 50 years. 
most of these circumstances uh, are, it's not necessary to work on an Energize. We still do work on an Energize, but it's not necessary. So it's, it's important for me to say, and, and for all of your listeners, that most of these things we've been discussing are in violation of 70E. Okay, so I, I can I, I I have to put my 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 seventy E instructor here, right? They're, Without they're a doubt, everything always, we've talked about is a violation to do something. Right, right. almost everything, almost, almost everything we're talking about. Yeah, um, so it's important for us to understand that. You, you know, it, it, it's difficult, but in our world, meaning especially residential and commercial electricians, this is new for them. When I say new, I mean in the last five, 10 years, it's new. Industrial manufacturing, it's not new. They're, they're, they, they know some of these rules as good as we do. Uh, but in the residential commercial world, oh my goodness, it's a struggle um, to be practical. And it's also a struggle for them to comply with the rules as written. Uh, energized work in almost every circumstance is in violation almost every circumstance, right? You can justify it in certain cases, but you've got to jump, for lack of a better terminology, you have to jump through the hoops, right? The safety hoops, the PPE, and, and, sure. and all the other requirements of that energized work permit. Uh, but one of the problems with, with commercial and industrial wiring, and to a degree residential, is we don't know the hazards when you're working on energized equipment, right? If an engineer did not do an incident energy analysis study yeah. and put the PPE label on there, right? You go up to this 1,200 amp 40-volt MDP and you're like, wow, I wonder what would happen if that thing had a bolted or an arcing fault, right? Because the answer is you don't know the, that plume that's going to come out of there, the the, the explosion, the, the sure. plaque. You don't know the level of that. Is it going to be two calories? Is it going to be 10 calories? Or is it going to be 50 calories uh, per, per centimeter squared? And the fact that you don't know that means you can't assess the risk. This is one of the biggest problems in our industry is that most electrical equipment has not been engineered by, um, by uh, IEEE 1584. It has not. So what is the hazard? Know. That's the biggest question I get. I don't. I don't know. I can push you in the right direction. There's some tables in the back of 70E that can help you assess the risk and can put you into a very conservative category of PPE. But who wants to go into a bomb suit when you're working on a 225 amp, 277 40 volt panel? Yeah, and I think what people don't realize is that the NFPA 70E is only one way to achieve this, okay? There is other ways to do it through software, um, and I can't even remember the name of it, IEEE 15 something, I can't remember, 1589 or something, I can't remember. 1584, I think. Yeah. yeah, so there's other ways that the, the designer, the engineer can do this. Again, I always worked with the NFPA 70E. It was very conservative. But again, it might put you in a huge suit, 40 cal plus some suit to do some simple task that you really realize that you can't do it with that suit, but you're going to be safe. That's without a doubt. You're going to be safe if you yeah. follow 70E. Definitely. And that's only if you can justify it. So just because there's a suit out there that's going to put you at, in, a, in a safe zone, in a safe area. Does it necessarily mean that 70 saying you can do it or OSHA right. saying you can do it? Now I want to I, I want to I want to make sure all your listeners understand the rules, and then but I also want to be practical. That's that's sure. one of the things that it's so important when I teach a 70 E class to be practical. I, I want them to follow the rules of 70 E, but 70 E and OSHA does give you some areas where you can work on energized equipment, but right there's always the but. And you have to, you better justify doing that. Otherwise, just because you're suited up doesn't mean that uh, OSHA wants you to take a risk, right? Because you're still blowing up a piece of equipment. You're, you're still destroying equipment and you still could be perhaps causing a fire. And even though you got PPE equipment on, what about if something flashes? Like, great, I'm not going to get a third degree burn. That's wonderful. But, but now you're like, okay, this room is filling up with smoke. 
you have to get out of the electric room. You take three steps and you collapse. And now you're unconscious and you die of smoke inhalation, but you don't have a third degree burn. Right. right? You didn't get burned. You're not burned, you're not burned but you're dead. Right. All right. So it's important for us to understand that it's not just the suit. You're, you're not going to go in there with a breathing apparatus. Right. It, it's, it's, it's hard enough to breathe in these suits anyway. Right. The full <laughs> right. suits, it's hard enough to breathe in them anyway. Uh, and, and another thing, Marty, I think what people don't realize is, you know, if you need to have the proper PPE to put it in a safe condition. And of course, we didn't really touch on lockout, tag out and all those type of things. Putting it in a safe condition. Guess what, folks? you can take that suit off, right? Once you put it in a safe condition, you've locked it out, you follow the rules, lock out, tag out. I don't need to wear this suit to work on the equipment. Right. right. Doesn't seem so much easier to, to, to shut it down, put it in, a, there's no reason to do it live. The work order like, you know, there's, there's, hey, Marty, maybe we should say this. There's a reason the live work permits in the back of the uh, NFPA 70E, they almost didn't want to put it in there, but they put it in there, okay? Because it's probably not a smart thing to do. And there's going to be occasions where you might have to do it. I get it. Maybe a hospital, although they should have redundancy anyway, where you don't need to worry about that. They can kick it off to another system while they're working on it again. Another story. We don't talk about emergency systems and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, there might be a reason. And if it's justified, it's justified. But me, shut that thing down. Lock that thing out. Get to take yeah. all that stuff off then you can freely work on things where you're more nimble and get things done. And then you can suit back up to re-energize and then everything's good. Okay. It's hard to do all those things while you're in a suit. It's hard to get torquing, right? It's hard to do all that stuff that you need to do. And what's the point? Shut it yeah. down. So we can talk about the little things like with residential and, and worry, but then there's the big things that we have to worry about. But the key is not to get complacent across the whole scheme of electrical safety. It only takes a tenth of an amp to kill you. Your electricians out there, we want all of you to go home to your family. Don't take anything for granted. The one time that your guard is down is the one time. I mean, we have things in the National Electrical Code that are due to people getting electrocuted and killed, okay? About the requirement for luminaires in a crawl space, okay? To be GFCI protected now, all right? So we've, we've got the outside outlets, Okay, we're talking about outlets, the point where you take power from to go to outside air conditioning. Now, that outlet, again, we're not talking receptacles, we're talking outlet. You now have to have GFCI protection. So many things have changed. The hazards have risen up, and you just got to be safe and not be complacent. That's the key, okay? Heavily respected. I think everybody here has a heavy, healthy respect for electricity and what it can do. And uh, we don't take it. We don't take it for granted at all. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add, Marty? You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the the lighting in a crawl space requiring to be GFCI protected, and a big reason behind that is if you go to a big box store and you get one of those screw in type of receptacles, and all of a sudden you're in, you know, somebody adds a sump pump or they add this or they add that. And they're like, hey, I need a power outlet down here. So they go to a big box store, they screw into their lighting. And now they got non-GFCI protected uh, receptacle yep. in their crawl space, which is a very hazardous location from a shock standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. And you're by yourself most of the time. And there's been reported deaths of people just being electrocuted and, and, and you're confined, you can't move, your muscles contract, and you die. And and it all had to do with somebody using an outlet in a crawl space from the lighting circuit um, by a simple adapter. So that that's a very good point you bring up for sure. Yep. Yep. So yeah, we have to be aware of all those things. things. Yeah. For, for someone to get power down there. Hey, before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some of the people in the feed. Elwood, what is happening? Elwood. Yeah, Elwood's in the house. Um, Kevin. Kevin, what's going on? Um, Bill, Bill, Caleb. Caleb's in the house. Caleb is late tonight. Fernando, Caleb. He must have been listening to my latest rap tune. That's <laughs> what he was listening to. Ah, he's trying to make a... We're gonna make a remix to that with uh, star uh, with uh, featuring the Basement King, and oh. then we have Bill Harper. 
Tiger who King. just uh, <laughs> committed to the 2020 NEC series. Way to go, Bill. Awesome. Yes, that's our paid series on our YouTube channel. I'm going to try to keep up with that, but we got a lot of things coming in the future on that channel. I also should mention real quick, because, again, I forgot to do this. Uh, sorry, Marty, I got to mention this. We have a, a central electrical calculation online seminar, November 21st. It's a six-hour seminar. Again, if you haven't watched uh, my little wrapping video on that, again, it's uh, I'm going to teach you every essential calculation. It's going to be tough, six hours, that you need to know. Um, I mean, I, I probably went over this in that video, but I'm going to talk about terminal limitations, adjustment and corrections, 31015B1, C1, motors, short circuit ground fault protection, sizing, feeders, single to 430.22 for branch circuits or feeders, 430.24. We're going to talk yeah. about ranges, whether all of the ranges are the same uh, rating, in, uh, unequal ratings. We're going to talk about column A, B, and C, 220.55. We're going to talk about single family, multifamily, non-dwelling. We're going to talk about box fill pull box calculations, dryer calculations. When you have a single phase dryer that's tapping off to a four wire, three phase system, same for ranges. We're going to cover that. That's on a lot of exams. I'll talk about sizing equipment, grounded conductors, how to deal with that voltage drop. To be honest with you, you don't have to increase the size of the equipment, grounded conductor for adjustment and corrections, but you do for voltage drop or anything else that your electrical engineer feels like they want to make you increase those ungrounded conductors for whatever yep. reason they want. You just don't have to do it for adjustment and corrections. Um, we'll talk about 310.12, which used to be 31015B7. Again, talking about using that little 83% for the service or feeder rating. Again, I don't think the table's necessary. Y'all know my feeling on that, but they put the table back in there for people to just want to look at it and pick and point. You know, you want to be a caveman. Just remember that table doesn't apply if you have adjustment and corrections. So again, most people don't think about that. You're not going to have any probably not going to have any adjustment issues with that, but you could have a correction issue. But again, nobody cares about ambient temperatures anyway. When's the last time you derated your conductors that are going through your attic where you've got insulation? Yeah, I'm sure never, you do all the time. Never. Yeah, they do it all the time. We're going to talk about Ohm's law, Watt's law, number of circuits, how to calculate that, voltage drop again, transformer calculations, primary, secondary, 25-foot rule, 10-foot rule. We'll talk about receptacles first 100% and the remainder at 50. All of that's going to cover in 220.44. Uh, we're going to talk about kitchen equipment, non-dwellings, 220.56. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about non-coincidental loads. It's not just AC versus heat. God, people get confused with that. It's any yep. non-coincidental load in a building where one might be not on at the other time. Uh, there's some way to interlock that. We'll talk about that. But, again, we'll cover the new change in 2020, which I think is totally crazy. Hopefully, we're going to fix that in 2023. <sighs> all of that, yep. folks. It's worth yep. it. What do you think, Marty? That six hours for $99, and I'm going to cover all those topics in six well, hours. That is, that, is, that, that is a fun six hours. Well, at least it would be fun for me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <I'm> sure, <laughs> I know, so, I know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing that you're doing there, and um, I, I think it's not easy being a master electrician, and covering what you're doing right there is critical. That's critical because those areas that you just mentioned are what most electricians don't understand. Yeah. The essentials. Right? You have to cover them. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to dig deep into them. So those that are interested to sign up for that go to electricalinstructor.com. Of course I got .net.org also cost me a fortune in URLs. I got over 80 of them, <laughs> but this one is electricalinstructor.com, so check it out. Uh, if you want to listen to my rap, go check it out in Caleb just said I finished rapping. It was almost like I was rapping. Boy, I was yeah. going kind of quickly. Yeah. Wasn't so, Marty, again, I'm going to have the link to your website down in here as well. But any closing remarks you want to give to our listeners or yeah. tell them about you or what you got going on? Yeah, well, let me just mention one thing. The, the number one rule in 70E is to determine all sources of power, right? That is the number one rule when you're when you're working on energized electrical equipment and testing for the absence of voltage, right? Because it could be it could be a main time main configuration, it could be a backup generator, it could be a UPS system. Sometimes there's just another source coming in. So the number one rule before you do any lockout tagout is to determine all sources of power. Um, so so thank you, Paul. I appreciate you having me. We got a class coming up uh, November 18th and 19th, December 2nd and 3rd, um, uh, December 15th and 16th, I think. I'm, don't quote me on that. But it's all on my website. Um, feel free to reach out to me if you have any uh, questions. And most of my training is private, believe it or not. Uh, it's 70E and code. 
So I love going to companies to do private training, whether it's on the code, whether it's on emergency systems, whether it's on grounding and bonding, 70E. Uh, I do classes on top 25 code violations that I com compiled a little list here. Every, every good instructor has got his little list, right, of code, sure. top code violations. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do a healthcare uh, class that, that's on healthcare systems at hospitals and, and uh, nursing homes and things like that. So I, I kind of have a whole host of different types of classes that I do. Um, related to the National Electrical Code. But um, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you folks out there, you want to get some training. I highly recommend Marty. And I will have his information down in the link. He's a great guy. Take it from me. Okay. Not just because he's a CMECP. Not because he's a, you know, top gun. I will say I want it before him. But just, you know, I'm just saying that. You know? All I can tell you is you're glad I wasn't there in 2007. Oh, is it? Hold on. <laughs> it's a throwdown. Here we go. All right. So maybe that's what we'll have. Maybe we'll have Marty back on, and we'll have Jay as the moderator, and we'll have a we'll have a we'll have a code back and forth. We'll do code. G, G, G. All right, Jay, my beloved co-host. You got any closing things you want to say to everybody? Again, you know, great guest, Marty. It was awesome having you here. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's great. I don't have anything, man. Just uh, have a good week. And we'll see you guys next Saturday. All right. Y'all all be safe out there. God bless. Till next time. Stay safe. You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy and Jay Brunberg.